You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom, and I am grateful in this time to be able to once again bring you another episode of my podcast, which looks at the collision of technology, media, and entertainment. It's particularly an interesting time to be talking about these things as we deal with the uh, impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. I took advantage of a new thing that's happening as of this week. Uh, My friends uh, Ned and Tenzar Sherman run a conference series called Digital Entertainment World. Normally around this time, they'd be getting ready for their game conference, their game executives conference, um, and they hold a variety of other conferences looking at some of the same spaces. I frequently moderate panels for them or one-on-ones, and now they've gone online. This week, they began doing a daily midday show, uh, midday Pacific time. They're based in Los Angeles like I am. Talking at, looking at things like the business of streaming and the business of Hollywood and uh, rights and IP and all that, which is what they do on Thursdays. And so each day is themed around a different thing, and they have different notables come on and talk. And on Tuesday, the second day of that, they had me host a one-on-one conversation with Brent Weinstein. He is Chief Innovation Officer for United Talent Agency, or UTA, and a partner there. He is the first digital-facing agent in any of the major, the big five talent agencies, to get elevated to partner. And he has continued to be a really notable figure in this this, uh, intersection between technology and Hollywood itself, traditional Hollywood, in lots of interesting ways. I reached out to him on behalf of Ned and Tenzar and He agreed to sit down for this one-on-one by Zoom. I've uh, been able to use the Zoom functions to record the conversation. And here it is, Brent Weinstein, UTA Chief Innovation Officer. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I, without further ado, will get right to it. Hold on for a quick message, and we'll be back at it. conversation with Brent Weinstein, Chief Innovation Officer for United Talent Agency, as part of uh, Digital Entertainment World's Let's Do Lunch series. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I have to confess, I was a little uh, a little unsure how to dress for this event. You know, Ned yesterday wore all black, which I thought was totally appropriate. I was wondering if... Uh, Brent would wear his Armani sweatshirt today, and he has. <laughs> he looks very stylish, as uh, you can imagine. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, and only 30 minutes, so we'll get right to it. Brent, I wanted to just uh, get real quickly. You have a, the coolest title, I think, in Hollywood is Chief Innovation Officer. The only guy I think is close to you is uh, uh, Ted Chilowitz, who is the futurist at Paramount. You know, you guys have, like, these cool titles looking into the future. And this is an opportunity at a very complicated time to talk about uh, some of the future we are staring at in this crazy, crazy time and what little bits of uh, clues we can see about who's doing smart stuff, who's 
positioning themselves at this time. Hollywood was already going through transformation, and now this feels to me like it's accelerating it. I wrote a column for Two Filter, one of the places I write for, uh, that ran this morning talking about Hollywood's already transforming a little bit. And I want to talk with you about where you see things going. I guess to start, what's your general assessment of kind of where Hollywood is from your position as uh, the innovation leader at an agency whose job is to look forward for their clients? Where are we going in the biggest picture that you can uh, talk about? Uh, sure. First, you know, thanks to you and Ned and, and Digital Media Wire for having me. And I hope you and uh, your families and everyone you know, watching from their homes are safe and healthy and remain so throughout this uh, ordeal. Um, I'll start by saying that, you know, while you pointed out I've got a cool title, what it really is, is that I work at a cool company. Um, I work for a company who, uh, for, you know, as long as I've been there, and my first go-round at UTA started in, in late 2001, uh, in the shadow of another, you know, big crisis, September 11th. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, I've worked with and for people who have always uh, encouraged, if not mandated, that we are constantly uh, looking to the horizon and trying to look around corners and try to figure out what is coming and how can we not only uh, be prepared for disruption, but how can we be a part of it? How can we be a part of, of changing our ecosystem for the better and creating new opportunities for the artists that we work with? So uh, I am uh, just one of many people who have worked really hard over the years to make sure that our company isn't just run by someone who happens to have innovation in its title, uh, but really we have a culture of innovation that starts from our CEO and our board of directors all the way down. Right. And, and you were uh, made your way as kind of the guy who, who helped lead UTA as it, it dove into the digital space in, I think, a pretty aggressive way, probably sooner than all your big competitors, uh, the big five out there. You guys were as aggressive as anybody. You all have invested wisely and widely, uh, I think, in a lot of interesting companies. You guys have signed a bunch of online influencers. I I'm curious, as you look at that portfolio of investments and clients who are in the digital space, who's doing really well here? Who, who is uh, making the most of this challenging time and perhaps innovating themselves and trying to, to stick themselves out there and, uh, and get seen now? Sure. Um you know, like I said, you know, our, our company has been incredibly bullish and entrepreneurial and has been willing to, to take leaps, even when we weren't exactly sure where we would land or even if we had a parachute, you know, strapped to our back. Uh, back in 2006... Parachutes, parachutes are so overrated, I'm just saying. Back, yeah. uh, they're, they're, they're for wimps. Um, in 2006, uh, we announced and we became the first agency in the world, really, to start representing what people now think of as influencers, but digital natives, people and artists and voices that were emerging from platforms like YouTube and today that extends to things like TikTok and others. And when we did that in 2006, people thought we were crazy. Oh, these are just flashes in the pan. They're one hit wonders. They're viral video stars. There's no way there's going to be careers that are built out of this. And we weren't smart enough to know exactly when or how the marketplace would mature, uh, but we, we certainly had a very strong hunch that it would. And we knew that we wanted to be uh, ahead of that curve, leaders in that marketplace. And so we invested very early and very aggressively. And if you fast forward to today, uh, the again, people uh, have different ways to talk about it. And some people are allergic to the word influencer, but the influencer economy, uh, the economy around these digital natives is, you know, a billion plus dollar business. And 
we're really proud of the team that we've built internally and the clients that they represent uh, and the fact that our hunch was right. And whereas I think a lot of people thought that uh, people were using those platforms as a stepping stone to become film and TV stars. Right. Uh, what we found is that that's not the case, you know, of our hundreds of clients, very few of them uh, are interested in film and TV as a full-time job. They may want to dabble in it a little bit, but you know, there really is a robust career to be had as a digital native. And if we look at the moment that we're in right now, um, that business is seeing far less disruption than many uh, of our other more traditional businesses. So, um, you know, we're really happy that as an agency, that's one of many examples of, you know, where we have tried to be ahead of the curve, where our leadership has pushed us to be entrepreneurial and to, again, leap without parachutes sometimes, because right now it's, you know, one of the most you know, vibrant things that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you gave me a little bit of a nostalgia there. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that time when everybody thought, oh, well, of course, all I want to be is on a network sitcom. And in fact, they're like, dude, I got three million followers that I own. Why do I want to go be rented for somebody else? You know, I mean, it's a really interesting shift. And it's like your all's job was to give them more opportunities across. Maybe it isn't it is in traditional media also, but that's like a side gig almost. It's like. They got their books and their merchandise and their live events and everything else they do and their sponsored posts. And there's a nice little business there that's paying people pretty well. You say that they're doing better than some of the, obviously the more traditional. I don't, I don't want to say doing better. It's just to say that we're really happy that we invested in that space when we did because we were ahead of the curve. So when that space did mature and there's still lots of maturation to come in that business, but as the space matured and as the dollars became very real, as the business became more sophisticated, we were ready to be leaders in and, and to really help our clients succeed in that space. And uh, it's one of you know, many things that, that we're proud to have been first movers in. Uh, we're the first agency to really build a dedicated social media advisory practice, which has since become part of a division that we call UTAIQ, which really is the data center of the agency. You know, people look at agents and think that they're cowboys shooting from the hip. Um, and there's some of that, uh, but we've really morphed into being an, uh, an agency that advocates for our clients and, and identifies and seizes opportunities for our clients based in a lot on data. Uh, and uh, we really believe that if we can come to the negotiating table with more data um, than our counterparty, uh, or if we have more data that we can deliver to clients to help steer their career, then it's uh, it's just fuel that will lead to really great things. Yeah, I, it's an interesting question because I think data is so antithetical to that that shoot from the hip classic notion of the Hollywood studio boss, right? Uh, but it is going to be really important, I think, uh, going forward to inform so much. It doesn't have to decide things; it certainly has to inform them. I'm curious as you're starting to see data about. Uh, things that are happening out there. Do you have any ideas about what's working in particular for your all folks? I mean, like what kinds of programming is kind of working in this moment? Um, you know, what kinds of genres are working? Sure. I mean, you know, if in this moment, you mean this moment that we're living in coronavirus yeah. quarantine, um, you know, where, where significant portions of, of every industry, but certainly the media industry are, 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 are completely stalled or, or materially disrupted. Uh, about a month ago when we saw this train coming down the tracks, assembled a team internally uh, of, of the right experts that, that we could bring to the table. 
to be prepared to advise our clients on what they could be doing in this moment. And as that's played out over the past few weeks, it, it tends to fit into a couple of buckets. Um, the first is clients who simply want to use social media and their existing audiences to do cool stuff. I'm going to teach a cooking class from my kitchen. I'm going to play a song from my living room, but they're still looking for guidance on either how to do that or how to do that in the most effective way. Uh, the second is a, an extension of that, which is if they're going to do things using their social channels, how do they do it with a longer term perspective? So let's engage and entertain and, and be there for their fans in this moment, but let's also do it in a way that helps them build an audience that they can engage with for months and years thereafter. So a more long-term point of view. The third is artists who want to do maybe bigger, more ambitious things in this moment. And in order to do it, need some version of a partnership. They need capital, they need uh, maybe technology resources, something uh, more comprehensive than simply publishing through YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. And then the fourth is, is we're spending a lot of time engaging with organizations and individuals all over the ecosystem who themselves are hosting events. So Twitch this past Saturday had a 12-hour live stream that's featured dozens and dozens of artists. Uh, and we worked with Twitch to make sure that many of our artists were a part of that lineup. And that's just one of a number of examples. And I give a huge amount of credit to this team that we put in place, uh, again, a, a few weeks ago, uh, people like Vanya Primorak and Kendall Ostro and, and others who uh, have been working you know, across the agency with so many clients, helping them make sure that they are uh, really giving back in this moment and that they're using their platforms for good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you talked about some folks wanting to get a little more ambitious. I mean, certainly Twitch and the other platforms are doing a lot of stuff and plugging your people into there makes a lot of sense. But are there people you can talk to, talk about who are doing more ambitious projects where maybe they need you know the tech or they need some, some investment to, to, to blow it up, not just to put it on YouTube and, and cut together some little things and do a live stream. I mean, are they, who's doing a little more ambitious stuff and talk about? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, we certainly can talk about, you know, examples of, of what our clients are doing. I don't know if I want to sort them into what's ambitious and what isn't, but, 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 you know, we're really excited. For example, you know, Kumail, you know, Nanjiani, you know, and Emily Gordon, his wife, you know, launched a podcast called Staying In. Uh, with the intention of donating the money that the podcast would generate to charities. And it's a really cool podcast and, and people are really liking it uh, and they're engaging with it in a material way. Um, our clients, you know, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, you know, from Magnolia, uh, you know, IGTV stars, uh, they've been doing some really cool interactive challenges and activities from baking cookies, uh, you know, recipes from a cookbook to inviting fans to use the hashtag, you know, we believe in home on their videos and, they've been using their platform for a lot of good. Kevin Hart, who's you know, one of the biggest stars in the world, launched a series that he did from home called Confessions from the Heart, where he just opens up and talks about you know, whatever's on his mind that day, but things that typically don't make it, uh, their way into you know, his routine. Um, you know, there's so many good examples. You know, Joe Jonas you know, has been you know, interested in, in the gaming space and actually launched his gaming profile on Twitch during that live stream that we mentioned. Uh, you know, Cascade, you know, one of the biggest electronic dance music stars, partnered with Chipotle uh, to, you know, get free burritos, you know, in the hands of, of his fans during his live stream. So 
Um, that last one is, a, is an example of where an artist came together with a partner to deliver something to, uh, to the audience. So uh, those are just a handful of, of literally dozens and dozens of examples of how our artists are using this moment to try to give people hope, uh, give them something to look forward to, give them you know, some, something to smile about during the day. And I think that there's going to be a real long-lasting effect for this. I think that when hopefully we all get back to some version of normalcy, I think that uh, many of these artists are going to realize that engaging with their fans in this way is something that they're going to want to continue to do. Uh, and I think that we're going to see a lot of cool stuff even when uh, this fog clears. Yeah. Now, Kevin Hart, you mentioned, I think he, he just signed a deal, didn't he, with uh, Comcast slash NBC Universal around Peacock, right? And, and he's going to have this Laugh Out Loud channel. Didn't they do a deal with him and they're going to invest with him? Is this is the stuff he just did? Is this all going to be tied into some of that? Um, Peacock is supposed to launch pretty soon, I've heard, uh, two weeks away, supposedly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a massive Kevin Hart fan and, and I'm so proud to be at an agency that represents him. And I've had a pleasure of, of, of of doing a little bit of work for him, but I'm not involved in that Peacock deal, so I can't really speak to it. And uh, I want to make sure that I, for my good and, and for the benefit of whoever's watching, that I'm sort of staying in my lane. But I'm very excited for Peacock to launch, and, and I hope that whatever Kevin is doing with them, uh, I'm sure it'll be hilarious. So that that does make me, uh, there's been a lot of speculation about Quibi coming out next week, Peacock the next week after, though they'll be wrapped inside the Comcast uh, uh, universe for the next three months and HBO without getting into them specifically, but they're coming in at a very interesting time when there's a lot of demand for content. Do you think generally speaking, is this a good time to be launching a new service or, or I mean, it's what they got, but I mean, is sure. this, is this going to be to their benefit or is it going to be a little extra headwind? What do you think? You know, I'll leave it to, to the analysts like Rich Greenfield and, uh, and, and, and the real smart folks out there uh, to, to give uh, a much more sophisticated answer. But it certainly seems like people are craving entertainment right now. It seems that uh, they're stuck in their homes. There's no sports. Uh, you know, many of the things that, 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 that they used to you know, do to fill their free time are, are unavailable. So I think that people are looking for ways to be entertained. And I think that you know, launching these new services in this moment can be a real bright spot. And I think that they have a real opportunity. I mean, you can imagine if Peacock launched and you could binge Friends right now, um, yeah. you know, that would probably be a pretty compelling thing. I'm really excited for everything that Jeffrey and Meg are doing uh, and for the launch of Quibi in a few days. Uh, I think that they're spending uh, the right amount of money working with the right creators. The shows, or at least the parts of the shows that I've seen are really good. And I think that they've got a pretty captive audience right now in terms of people that are looking for entertainment. So I think that it's a it's a pretty good time to be putting new entertainment in front of people. All right. Are there any particular platforms that you think are especially going to benefit? I, I was surprised to see that there was some some stats suggesting that podcasts, which are hot right now or have been hot, uh, are actually getting a little bit less energy right now because people aren't commuting as much. I mean, people are staying at home and they aren't necessarily listening to podcasts at home. And I figured, well, you, you still listen. Are there, are there ones out there that you think, I mean, Twitch, you mentioned in live streaming versus the sort of produced stuff. What do you think is probably more of the moment at this point from what you're seeing? Uh, listen, I think that, that any entertainment that, that isn't on pause right now that, that people can engage with has an opportunity to, mm -hmm. 
uh, see growth. So whether that's esports, whether that's more traditional console or casual gaming, uh, whether it's podcasting, even though you're right, uh, there's some anecdotal evidence that people aren't in their cars or on buses or on trains right now. You know, whether it is new platforms like the ones we've mentioned, you know, there's a real opportunity. I also think there's an opportunity for technology innovation. You know, if you look back at the last major financial crisis, which obviously there's some fundamental differences between that moment in time and what we're all experiencing now. But in the shadow of that crisis uh, grew some of, you know, our most uh, vibrant companies today, things like Uber and Square and, and, and others. And, you know, it's certainly, I can't ever say that there's a silver lining to, to what we're going through right now. There's just too much horror, you know, that we're seeing every day on TV and, and in our lives. Uh, but, you know, that being said, there, there likely will be some pretty significant innovations that 10 years from now, we'll look back and say they were born in this moment. And uh, I'm excited to see uh, what those are. I'm excited to be a part of them if we can and to position our clients to be a part of them. Because uh, there will be some pretty meaningful uh, new models and businesses that emerge from this scenario. I think that's actually a really, really important point. I mean, if you look back 12 years, that's about when social media birthed. I mean, uh, YouTube is about 12 years old. The iPhone is about 12 years old. You go down a list of, of some significant platforms that are out there now, a whole bunch of them did come out of that dark shadow of the the Great Recession. Uh, This is different, no doubt about it. And we have a lot of shoes, I think, still to drop. But now we have 5G coming in, which will enable some stuff. And you're right, there are going to be some viewers out there that are going to be open to some things. One of the things I think is fascinating is the number of sort of traditional media stars who are finding an audience online that they never bothered with or needed to care about, or who are creating stuff with very modest production values, shall we say. Do you think we're training even traditional viewers of traditional media to say, okay, there's this whole other universe out there that uh, of content and connection to Gail King or Trevor Noah or uh, John Oliver out of his bedroom, you know, I mean, is this all changing the what we expect of, of our entertainment? Listen, I think that, uh, you know, ultimately Trevor Noah or John Oliver doing their show in their studio, it might seem like the same show that our clients, Rhett and Link, who have the most popular daily talk show on the internet, Good Mythical Morning, that they do from their studio. But in many ways, it's different. And, uh, and I think that many traditional talk shows and late night shows are starting to realize a how hard it is to 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 produce a show in that format right and those uh, guys Ed and link are getting some credit finally huh? i mean they've uh, been doing uh, it for amazing and uh, and i also think that uh that that uh viewers understand how much work now goes into those shows it's not as simple as a really talented comedian sitting at a desk and asking questions of a celebrity that a lot of work goes into making those shows great and the live audience is typically a big part of it right so um i imagine when all this is over they're going to very happily shift back to, you know, their traditional studio environments, their live audiences, their, their full production value. But I applaud people for doing everything that they can in this moment. And, and again, you know, there's just going to be some really exciting shifts. You know, I, I know that I'm participating in this right now via my laptop. It looks like you are as well. I imagine people at home are on their phones or laptops. I imagine there's very few people watching this webinar right now on their smart TV. And yet, 
how accustomed to Zoom and web conferencing are we all going to be when this is over? And doesn't it stand to reason that most consumer electronics manufacturers are going to make a pretty sizable shift and start introducing some of these components directly into TVs? It was 10, 12 years ago that if you wanted to have this type of video conference, you'd have a peripheral clipped to the top of your monitor or clipped to the top of your laptop. And then laptop manufacturers started building it in as a table stakes. I don't know if you can find a laptop that does that yeah. camera. Um, and even though you can find some TVs with cameras, it's certainly not a feature that lots of people use. And I think that th that's going to be one of the things that comes out of this is a change in the way people use their personal and con consumer electronics and, and how manufacturers change as a result. So I think I can't imagine that if we look back a few years from now that every major screen in your house is now going to have a camera to enable these types of communications. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I, I did actually throw my Zoom uh, signal up onto my, my home screen using AirPlay yesterday just as an experiment. I mean, I'm doing a lot of experimentation with various things you can do with Zoom as a platform. And uh, you're right. At some point, people are going to be, I mean, I've got a, uh, and I'm not even using it because I had some technical challenges right before we came on. Uh, but uh, a Logitech has a great little $160 clip-on camera that's very smart and it looks and has a beautiful screen. So it's like that next step up if you're going to stream before you start getting serious with, uh, you know, heavy-duty streaming, live streaming software and all that. But you're right. I think that we will start seeing this built into some of those connected TVs so they're even more connected, right? I mean, how's that? What It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because all of a sudden, grandma might be more comfortable. My mother is learning FaceTime and she's learning... Zoom. I mean, my, my aunt, who I hope is listening, actually from uh, North Carolina, promised she would try their learning Zoom. And she's 81, I think, or 80 years old now. And she's always been technologically adventurous, but, you know, it's a new world. So when grandma gets the, the live video stream and how cool it is to see the, uh, the descendants, I suspect that'll help drive some stuff and see it on a big screen. And then you're right. Then all of a sudden, what does that open up in terms of other kinds of entertainment and news sure. and everything else? I want to make sure uh, folks know we're going we're gonna to take some questions in a minute. We also have a, a poll coming up that will include some questions about how you all are getting your entertainment on what platform you're using, what technological platform you're using to stream this stuff. Uh, want to get into some other areas. So I think one that uh, one of the questions we have out there is talking about uh, AVOD, ad supported VOD, which has been very big yesterday. The chief business officer for Pluto, Jeff Schultz, was on, and I think somebody asked him about original programming. He said, "Well, you know that that we got a lot of invitations as you can imagine, but." You know, that's millions of dollars and a bit, a lot of risk for us. And as we were going, what would we have given up to have that original show, which may or may not work? Curious from your standpoint, uh, do the, uh, you know, my colleague Alan Wolk calls them uh, free ad supported TV or fast, which I think Rich Greenfield over at Lightshed also uses as opposed to AVOD. What's your, what's your sense of whether those burgeoning companies in the ad supported world will get into into original program, or do they even need to? Because they've got a nice niche here, it seems to me. Um, I think, you know, there's always been a bit of a tension at the big tech platforms as to whether they simply want to be a publisher through which content companies distribute or whether they want to get into original programming. And you've seen 
uh, YouTube and others, you know, sort of vacillate, you know, in terms of that decision making. And I think that, you know, you're seeing a lot of media companies buy up these AVOD assets, you know, Pluto being acquired by Viacom, uh, Fox making a play in the space, et cetera. And I think that it makes a lot of sense for those companies to hedge uh, against uh, what we're seeing in terms of cord cutting trends. I'm not sure if a company like Pluto needs to invest in original programming because they're part of Viacom, which has, you know, a number of programming divisions. So uh, does Pluto need to do its own programming or does MTV, Comedy Central, BET, Nickelodeon, CBS, Showtime, Paramount, do they continue investing in content based on the infrastructure and the expertise that they have in place? And then they may decide at some point, oh, wow, this makes sense to live on Pluto either exclusively or non-exclusively. Yeah, I, and I think that um, that that question is becoming more and more moot as all these big uh, AVOD services get bought up, right? I mean, uh, Fox actually closed the deal for Tubi last week, I guess, um, after yep. a lot of conversation for maybe three or four weeks before that public conversation before that. And that was one of the big ones. Pluto's bought up. Zumo was bought by Comcast to slot in with some of what they're doing. Future Today is back out there. It's, it's about a quarter the size of, uh, of uh, Tubi, uh, but it's back out in the market and, and uh, let's just say open to a conversation. So re- real quickly, I think we want to go ahead and put the poll up. There we go. There's the poll. If all you 170 or 80 of you out there listening would take part, this is not obviously a scientific poll. It is just a chance to get a sense of the room and to get a chance to uh, see what some smart people who are smart enough to come here and listen to Brent Weinstein, which is a smart person, I got to say, smart enough to show up here, uh, what they're doing, how they're consuming and what they're consuming. It's just three questions in we'll get some results at the end of this thing and, and let everybody kind of see just kind of what's going on out there. So uh, take some time to do that. In the meantime, Brent, I'm going to go through, we have a number of questions from this smart. Let's rock it through them. Let's get to as many as we can. Rock it. And some of these you may not be able to talk about, but we'll give you sure. a chance. Uh, from anonymous attendee, this is a, a, a notable name. Legacy media companies are up against the ropes and in need of new revenue streams. What future of entertainment developments could newspapers exploit for much-needed revenue? Without a functioning fourth estate, the future is bleak. <laughs> that is a very big and a very important question, and I'll preface it by saying I'm not sure that I'm the expert, but uh, I'll talk maybe as a consumer and, and, and from common sense. I think that you know you're seeing companies like you said, buying AVOD platforms, right? And really trying to make sure that they own platforms so that they don't have to rely forever on, you know, the distributed bundles. Uh, You're seeing companies invest in live entertainment, which in this particular moment is not functioning all that well, Uh, but in a healthy environment, uh, it was very clear that while consumer behaviors were changing, uh, their interest in and their willingness to pay for live experiences uh, was only growing. And that could be thought leadership, it could be career driven, it could be music festivals, you know, fan festivals, trade shows. Food uh, but, festivals, uh, food, food, food festival. and drink, all that stuff, you know, cannabis so, festivals. So yeah. Live entertainment is a category that uh, was growing really fast before we all got hit by this Scud missile. Uh, and, and I believe, um, and I think most people in that space believe it will bounce back once it's safe to go outside and and be around other people again. So I think that media companies 
newspapers included, you know, they need to look at their different revenue models, subscription, ad supported, et cetera. Uh, but they're also going to continue leaning into things like live events uh, and others in order to uh, continue to diversify their revenue streams. Yeah, I think that the live events and that sort of stuff, uh, you see a lot of the things that the New York Times and Washington Post is doing. Some of that can be replicated even by small papers. Uh, a dear friend of mine, former classmate in my days at Missouri, uh, works in the Gannett, now as part of Gannett, and they just told all of their people that make more than 38000 a year, <laughs> which is not a lot of money in even many parts of this country, is uh, they're, they're furloughed a week a month for the yep. next three months. So that's, that's, uh, that's pretty rough. I, I'd love to solve all the problems of newspapers. I don't think we're going to be able to do that in the next three minutes. What's your strategy around your investment portfolios? It includes location-based entertainment from Lyft to Masterclass to Pluto. Name a few. Yeah. What's the sweet spot? Is it Series A only, B only? Sure. Uh, where are you going? So we built a, a ventures division a number of years ago, and it has two related focuses. The first is to uh, invest in early stage tech, media, consumer products, companies, uh, and to build a portfolio that, that we're really proud of and, and excited about and, and companies that we can learn a lot from. Also to build businesses with and oftentimes around clients of the agency. Uh, and again, those can be media businesses, they can be technology businesses, they can be consumer products businesses uh, or more. Our, on the first, which is really what I think this question is about, you know, we have a portfolio that we're really excited about. Uh, companies as large as Lyft that are now public uh, and, and upwardly mobile uh, companies that are thriving right now, like Patreon and, and Masterclass and next generation media brands uh, and media companies like Pocket Watch and you know, our portfolio is just that. It's a portfolio. Uh, in this moment, there are companies that are thriving as a result of, of all of this disruption and this moment that we're in. Uh, there's companies that, you know, are you know, going to have to you know, figure out how to navigate their way through this moment. And our job is to be there and support them in every way that we can, utilizing all the expertise that we can bring to the table, every function of the agency. Uh, but you know, we're really proud of our portfolio. We've got a great team that supports it every day here at UTA, run by Sam Wick, who runs our ventures division, uh, and Carolyn Jacobs, who works with him. So uh, it's a really vibrant part of what we do, and this moment in time isn't going to slow us down. Are you seeing this? That's that question was from Matt Coleman, and it sort of answered, I think, Sonal Patel's uh, question, which was a little harder to interpret. But do agencies create studios now off the back of their artists? In, in effect, you guys do. As you said, you all invest in companies that your artists want to create, not necessarily studios, but companies of many kinds that they've come up with, and you all invest in those. So, Sure. I mean, listen, I think it, we don't do anything, quote, off the back of our artists. Um, right. Our job as agents uh, is to support our artists and to be advocates for them, to help them identify opportunities, to bring them opportunities, to hear from them what they're passions and dreams are, and then to help fulfill those. Uh, and sometimes that means creating new businesses. And, and, and sometimes it means creating uh, businesses that are designed to disrupt uh, a bit of the traditional ecosystem. You know, years ago, a longtime client of the agency, uh, uh, Brian Robbins came to us and had a vision for building, you know, a new network for, you know, teens and tweens. Um, and we supported him in that vision and helped him build awesomeness. And it was a extraordinary idea. And, and Brian, as an operator, executed it 
uh, almost flawlessly. He built an amazing team. Uh, but you know, that wasn't something that we built on the back of an artist. That was something where an artist had an extraordinary idea and was really willing to roll up his sleeves and commit himself fully to, uh, his vision. And it was our job to, to help him in any way that we could. And, and that's really our role. And I love that Brian, uh, in a, a great circle, is now back in charge of awesomeness again as he's running yeah. is it Nickelodeon, I guess, for Viacom. And yeah, Brian is president of all the kids and family you know, work right. at Viacom, which, which right. primarily means Nickelodeon, but awesomeness now reports up to him as well. So what is, what is old is new again. Yeah, and, and they have a piece, a significant piece of uh, Pocket Watch, so, which I thought was a really smart investment by them. Ted Cohen, my old pal Ted Cohen, is wondering if you think it's clear that while production value helps, it's the content narrative, the storytelling that defines the success of people like John Oliver, Trevor Noah, et cetera. He's asking if you agree or disagree. Um, sure. I think ultimately, you know, the content is king. And I think that companies and, and artists that are used to having certain environments and, and resources to create shows are going to have to pivot. I think, you know, the John Oliver show this past Sunday, and he's not a client, just you know, to be clear, I thought that it was fantastic. I think that John Oliver's tone uh, and the way that he delivers uh, is maybe more suitable to and easier to, to, transi to transition from sort of a, a traditional studio model into something that is sort of, you know, stitched together with scotch tape at home, like everyone's trying to figure out right now. I just think that what he says and how he says it is so important. Uh, and it resonates whether he's in a studio or whether he's in, you know, a phone booth. So uh, I thought his show was great. And I thought that, you know, kudos to his producers and his team and his writers for delivering, I thought, one of the best pieces of television, you know, during this whole, uh, you know, unfortunate episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I saw it and I thought it was really well done. Uh, he would joke that he's used to having uh, nobody laugh at his jokes. So, but he's a, right. he's a funny guy. Paul Sweeting, another guy I've known a long time, a, a colleague of, uh, a partner of uh, Ned and, and Du, asked, can you comment specifically on whether you feel that live stream music performances will become a standard part of artist repertoires after the current crisis passes? I think that's an interesting one. We've seen a lot yeah. of that. Um, I mean, listen, you know, we, we have so many artists on our roster and certainly artists globally who were supposed to be at Coachella next month or Stagecoach. They were going to be at Governor's Ball or Boston Calling or... Uh, all of the other festivals and all of their, you know, hard ticket tours that had been put up for this year. And when those get pulled down, you know, it's unfortunate for the fans who were looking forward to, to, to seeing those acts, but it's unfortunate for the artists who, who really love performing and love, you know, standing on stage and seeing what they do impact so many people. And I'm so thrilled to see so many artists use this moment to continue to put their art out into the world and use it as a way to give people some hope and some happiness during some, you know, admittedly bleak times. Now, when we get back to normal, do I think that someone's going to forego their big stadium tour in lieu of doing things in their living room? Of course not. But do I think that many of these artists who... Uh, I think many of them will catch the social media bug, so to speak. Sorry, we shouldn't be talking about viruses in this moment. Um, but they will, they will realize that engaging with their fans in that way uh, is something that they really enjoy. They will appreciate the you know, immediate sort of feedback loop that they get when they do it. And I think many of them will continue to use their sort of direct fan platform, social media, to do cool stuff even when we return to normal. Not all of them will, and they certainly won't do it as their primary way of reaching fans. Uh, but I think that, that some of these things will last long after this crisis that we're in. 
Absolutely. Mark Patterson, because you mentioned esports, and I'm fascinated in that space in general. It feels like it's in a really good time for it. I mean, they were always hugely driven by their online followings. But Mark Patterson, who is in that esports space, asked what your take is on professional athletes and their role <laughs> as celebrities and influencers in promoting crossovers. We have the NBA talking about a, a 2K, an NBA 2K. Totally. Yeah. only with NBA players playing, which I think is so meta, it makes my head explode. But what do you think about that opportunity? I mean, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster would certainly be all, all in for a Madden uh, league, uh, I'm sure. But the uh, yeah. NBA was going to get into a 2K league with professional gamers, and now it's professional basketball players playing professional esports. But what, I what think in a world where you know, there's no sports on TV, Sports Center doesn't have a lot to cover, you know, I think having athletes play the the digital version of their sports sounds cool. Like it could make for fun entertainment if you can figure out a way to produce it where you see the athletes talking smack and everything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Are, so I think it could make for good TV if, if done the right way, at least in this moment where we're craving anything. I mean, I would watch professional curling at this point just to get a sports fix. Um, but do I think that these professional athletes can legitimately cross over and become professional esports athletes? The answer is unlikely in most cases. Um, you know, what we've realized about these esports athletes is that in many cases, they are as elite at what they do as an NFL player is at what he does. And it's not good enough just to be the best kid in the neighborhood at Madden or NBA 2K. Um, the people that are going out and winning tournaments are extraordinary and uh maybe there'll be someone like juju uh, as a sc guy I, I love juju uh proud trojan there might be guys who can cross over but uh but i think that for the most part these esports athletes um are head and shoulders better than most other people in this space and i think that esports is going to have a real moment right now So that was me talking with Brent Weinstein, the chief innovation officer and a partner at UTA, one of the big five talent agencies in Hollywood, about all kinds of cool stuff. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did and uh, had a lot of folks talking about it afterward. I wanted to make sure and share it further for those who didn't hear the live stream. I don't think they've quite figured out the archiving uh, back episode process uh, with the Let's Do Lunch series. I'll put a link to the show, uh, to, to the overall series uh, in my show notes, so you can access that if you want to join in. And I do recommend them. They've got some uh, high-level folks. They had the chief business officer for Pluto, uh, Jeff Schultz, uh, on day one, and lots of other notables since then, and more to come, I'm sure. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, Share, subscribe this podcast, Bloom in Tech, with those you care about. Would greatly appreciate it in this time in particular. Uh, if you really like what I'm doing, you can go on to the site that uh, syndicates and hosts my stuff, Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm, uh, now owned by Spotify, makes it pretty easy to uh, chip in a few bucks toward uh, keeping this uh, well-oiled media machine rolling along and uh, would certainly appreciate that greatly and give you a shout out if that's what you wanted. Uh, certainly and be very thankful for anything you can add 
Uh, in the meantime, if you have a comment, I'd be interested to hear what you think about the conversation with Brent and some of the things we got into. I'm particularly focused and interested on how we take advantage of the challenges in front of us to think about new ways to create uh, entertainment, information, to share what does it mean to create content in a time where everything is socially distant, it's online, it's through services like Zoom. How do we transform that and do things with that? I think it's a pretty interesting time to think about those things and would love to hear what you're thinking about and how you're going to do it. Anchor.fm makes it very easy to leave an audio comment if you'd like to do that, and I would love to hear from you that way and could probably work it into a, a future show. You also can reach me on Twitter at David Bloom, B-L-O-O-M, like a flower, or at uh, David L. Bloom on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. I love hearing from listeners who are interested and engaged and have their own thoughts about where this stuff is going. Um, this is a conversation. It is not a broadcast. So please reach out. Let me know what you're thinking, what, uh, what's going on with you. Please, as well, stay safe and sane. I want all my listeners to continue to be around to listen and enjoy and grow and learn and contribute to this world in this challenging time. It's more important that we're careful, we take care of ourselves and those around us that we love and even those we don't know. I hope you're doing that and being all right. In the meantime, this is David Bloom for Bloom in Tech, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.